With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn State Health. I'm Dustin Hawkins with Bob Flounders here alongside me. And it's an exciting week, Bob. We have actual Penn State football in the air again. Training camp started on Monday. And the buildup to uh, that season opener September 1st at Purdue. Almost like a, a race against the clock to try to get this team ready. There, there are variables every single year. But this year seems to have a, a couple more glaring variables, I would say, for, for Penn State. Trying to fill jobs and build up the middle of that defense. So we'll take a look at all those different things. Questions and position battles to watch. I want to start with this, though, Bob. You know, I, I know James, James Franklin said this in Chicago, how much he likes the overall depth of this team. And you can talk about questions all day long, and I know some of this depth is, is very young depth, but what does it mean for him to say that this team has so much depth? Yeah, that was part of his opening statement, right? I think for the most part, I could agree with James, but... It was hard because I, I kind of digested that a little bit after he said it. And I was trying to, I just went through the roster. You know what? At, at some positions, Dustin, he really had, I mean, if you look at how he's recruited and you look at who's back, even despite some extensive personnel losses, talented players, they are a deep team, especially when you look at maybe some of his earlier teams. But they have a potential fatal flaw. One of the reasons why I'm concerned about it, the offensive line is not deep. And that, to me, is it's tough to swallow that remark unless he knows something that no one else does. They don't have, you know, and he talked about it in spring, they don't have a lot of proven, talented bodies on the offensive line. And the offensive line is arguably the biggest obstacle to them getting to maybe a double-digit win season. He had to think about that again. He could have said, I'm so excited about the talent at most of our positions. But boy, offensive line, especially with the questions at the guard spots, especially with the depth questions across the board, that's what everyone is kind of worried about. I think he's worried about it, and it is not a deep group. Everywhere else, I think it's fair for James to say it, it could easily be one of his deepest teams at Penn State. I think he likes the guys that he has. You know, the young guys looking at, you know, beyond the, the guys who are competing for starting go- jobs like Golden Israel, Chumba, and uh, JB Nelson, who came over for Lackawanna College. But it's like, we've never seen these guys. These guys have not 
experienced anything in college football. You might like them and he might be proven right in the long run, but I don't think it really dispels the the concern about the line is if you're going to be leaning on players who haven't played a lot. And I would say the same thing is kind of true at linebacker too. You know, I, I think you, you can like them, but they've got to get some, some, some game action under their belts before anybody else can join you in that party. Yeah. Sleem Wormley is another guy on the offensive line that I'm sure James likes, but what have we seen from Salim? Uh, you know, they're counting, I think, on an FCS player, Hunter Norzad. You know, they're moving Landon Tangwell inside where he was a tackle, you know, as a high school star. And the linebacker position, he did say, you know, other than Curtis Jacobs, he seemed to he seemed to kind of lump Jonathan Sutherland and Curtis Jacobs together as proven players. But I, I would not agree with that. Curtis Jacobs is by far their best linebacker, their most dynamic player at that level. Um, he, he did acknowledge the training camp battle between Kobe King and Tyler Elsden. And I think that's a legit battle. One reason I would feel a little bit better, Dustin, about linebacker is I'm pretty convinced that Penn State, yeah, I mean, every, they do it more and more every year, but you know, defenses don't really play a lot of three linebacker sets anymore. It's really two linebackers on the field most of the time. If you're ahead in a game, the other team's going to be throwing, even if they're a running team. I think you're going to see Penn State and Manny Diaz. The strength of their team is really, one of the strengths of their team is really, I think, their defensive backfield. I think they like their corners. Um, even though they lost Jaquan Bristaker, I think they feel pretty good about three or four safeties. I think this is a 4-2-5 team that could actually play more more defensive backs. That's one way to get around maybe uh, the middle linebacker question is, is by just playing two of them. But I, there's no question when you look at Penn State's defense, Dustin, that linebacker is the biggest question. Well, let's start as we look at some of the battles and some of the things that you'll be you know watching for um, this month at the middle linebacker spot. And, you know, I think – a lot of people, and I, I would include myself in this group, are, are expecting Kobe King to emerge a, as the starter. Um, why? Why is that the con- the common sentiment? I mean, to me, it's like Tyler Elsden might might have that extra year, but I think if he were really the guy, I think we might have we might have had had some clues prior to this. I mean, that's my thinking. Yeah, and Elsden, I think, would have an experience edge if Brent Pry was the defensive coordinator. These guys are both learning. Manny Diaz's defense in, in his first year. I think that negates a lot of that edge. Quite frankly, Kobe King is is probably the more athletic player. He's the bigger athlete. Um, I, he was he was a, viewed at, by some recruiting services as a four-star recruit. So, you know, maybe athletically, I think Kobe would probably have an edge on Tyler. You know, I, I, I wouldn't I – would, you can never really count a linebacker out if, if Penn State continues to talk about them. Uh, James and his and his staff kind of have a way as August camp plays out of kind of hitting at who's winning that battle or who's surprising them or who's further along. He'll, he'll use phrases like that to kind of tip his hand. Um, they're probably going to use them both, you know, early in the season. But one of them is going to be the the more one of them is going to establish themselves. Watching Kalen King play and not having seen a lot of Kobe King. I'm going to bet on the King uh, genetics, I think, uh, and say that maybe Kalen King, I think, has a chance to really win that job. He's bigger. I think he was a more of a high-profile recruit. And I just don't know that Ty- uh, Tyler's got a big experience edge because uh, Manny Diaz is in his first year as the play caller. 
looking at, uh, you know, going back to the offensive line, one thing, you know, like some of these issues in, in Penn State camp, like you're relying on trying to pick through what James Franklin has to say and trying to read between the lines and trying to figure out what that means because there, uh, you know, there are some things he's going to say again and again, but the offensive line is interesting because when you have a chance to observe practice, it's hard to kind of hide where you're leaning whenever you can see the combinations of guys out there. So I think, you know, the observations from camp to see whether it's Hunter Norzad or uh, Sal Wormley um, to see how Landon Tangwall is coming along. I mean, I think that's one group that you can rely on your own eyes a little bit more to figure out where Penn State's going there. Not a lot of experimenting on the offensive line in camp. The ones usually work together. And the coaching staff and, and the offensive linemen themselves feel very strongly that it's a group that's got to be in sync to begin with. So you can't just sub in, sub out guys. You can get maybe a swing tackle ready to play. You can get maybe one or two players on the inside ready to play. But considering the, who they lost in Rashid, uh, Rashid Walker, uh, Mike Miranda, you know, they, they need to get Olufashanu. Uh, they need to get both their guards. They need to get Hunter Norzad. You know, they, these are guys that all need to see first-team reps. There's not a lot of time to experiment. The time to experiment was probably in the spring, but as they get closer to uh, the game, I'm with you. Who you see out there in practice with the first team is going to be – those are going to be the guys, I think, that are going to play the majority of the time at Purdue. One thing I wanted to say about Penn State's talent uh, this year – just following along uh, the athletic website and Dane Brugler, he's already started looking at you know position groups nationally to start the season and who he likes and who he doesn't like. And there's quite a few players on the Penn State roster. I've read four position groups, and in every group, a Penn State player is mentioned. Um, you know, at wide receiver, underclassman, obviously he mentioned Parker Washington. That's not a surprise, but. Interior offensive linemen, uh, he mentioned Juice Scruggs pretty high up on the list of veteran offensive linemen to start the season that he likes. Uh, offensive tackles, uh, underclassmen. Olu Fushano is pretty high up on his list and really he's only made one start. So either Dane Brugler really, really loves his Outback Bowl tape or somebody's been talking to him at Penn State about how much they really like Fashano, there's another guy that uh, on the tight end rankings, younger tight ends, Theo Johnson at 6'6", 260, is a guy that's already on, you know, the mind of Dane Brugler. It's not Brenton Strange. It's not, it's not Warren. So when, when Franklin talks about his depth, every position Brugler has mentioned going into the season has a Penn State player on it. Which says that either the James Franklin PR wing is, is full throttle, but I do think – there is something to be said about those guys, you know, the, and, and, mo, you know, most of those names that you mentioned are players that, you know, a lot of people are hopeful about, but aren't quite taking it to the bank yet. So I think the the fact that their names have been mentioned as kind of at Parker Washington might be the exception there, but, you know, I think it's pretty encouraging for Olu Fashano and, you know, obviously the Outback Bowl tape was, was nice, but uh, you know, for one start to, to be, to become a lockdown left tackle, I'll I'll take that as as an encouraging thing. Yeah, and he's going to have to play a huge role protecting Clifford's blind side. One thing I wanted to talk about, not to switch gears, but I was looking, you know, I, I'm 
I, I always look at the heights and weights on the Penn State roster. I don't know the last time they've updated, but I feel like they are kind of where those players are at. They're, they look, when I look at the heights and weights and I, I look at the Penn State players that I remembered in late spring, that they, they kind of they make sense. But looking at some of the photos, there was a media availability on Monday, but it was not, you weren't allowed to talk to Franklin or the players or his assistants, but you, there was a portion of practice you could shoot team takes pictures of the team i have to say i don't know if you took a look i am still blown away by how big drew aller is i mean for a true freshman who enrolled in january to be 6'5 and 242 and he looks every bit of 242 i mean that's i'm trying to remember i i mean i don't think there's ever been a quarterback at penn state that big hackenberg was a big guy i don't think he was ever in the 240s and I just wonder about that. I wonder if, if he's a freshman at 242, like what is he going to, as he, as his career continues to play out, is, is that the weight you want him at? Do, do they want him to get a little bit bigger? Is he just a big bone kid? But I, and then you see the pictures of him and he's just huge. I mean, he is a gigantic quarterback and I'm just curious to see how August goes. Um, will he get a little bit slimmer? He looks good. I'm not saying he doesn't look good, but man, that is a huge number for a freshman quarterback. Yeah, that's like um, you know, bigger than Chop Robinson. <laughs> to, to, to put it to put it yeah, to comparatively. Uh I, I've thought about that too. And I think there are some times, especially for a guy who's not ticketed to play right away, where the work that he's doing in the weight room he's kind of in the middle of that journey. So I don't know if that, if the plan as, as he gets a little bit closer to actual playing time will be to get him a little bit more nimble, but I, I do think he's just, he's just gigantic. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I think, you know, the name that came up during his uh, recruiting period was Josh Allen, not to say that he is Josh Allen, but you know, style wise and, and how effective he can be that, you know, that he can get the job done at, at that size. And I think he moves pretty well. I think that's the differentiator for me is that he's not a statue back there. He's not a pure pocket passer. He's not going to remind you of Lamar Jackson anytime soon, but if he needs to, if he needs to get out and run, he's capable of doing that. So I, I don't think the size is a detriment, but it is, it is kind of jarring when you've seen Trace McSorley and, and that type of player at, at Penn state to see this gigantic kid out there. But um, I, I think it's probably more of a good thing than anything to possibly be alarmed about. Yeah, I want to. I, I do. I'm going to go. I, I want to know what Josh Allen weighed as true freshman year at Wyoming. Number one, and but I mean, to, just to put it in perspective, if you look at uh, the other the other three quarterbacks on the roster, I mean, he's he's a good 25 pounds heavier than all of them. I think Clifford's about six two, Trabula six one or six two. That you might be a little, I think that you might be closer to six three or six four, but it's just you know, you look at them. He's just a large, large. Lar- he's still a kid almost, but man, I just, I just, you know, haven't covered the team since since two thousand and two. I don't think Penn State's ever had a, a prized young quarterback prospect with a body type like Drew Aller. It, I mean, it, it's rare, I think, across football, and just. Preliminary research shows Josh Allen coming out of high school in California, 6'5", 222. <laughs> so, you know, that's 20 pounds. And even even now, he, even now, uh, Aller's bigger than than Josh Allen. 
Yeah. So anyway, it, it just struck me a little bit. And then seeing him physically, just how, how big he is, it's, it's just a little, it's going to take a little getting used to. And, and who knows, you know, it's he, by the time August camps rolls around, he could be down to 231 and I'll be making a big deal out of nothing. But man, he's, I think he's carried that 240 with him. He probably got a little bit bigger and stronger in the weight program, but he's carried most of that weight with him since his time. I think he got to Penn State. And, and I would say that's probably, you know, looking at the at the journey of trying to get him ready to to play. I think, you know, getting him stronger. I mean, getting everybody stronger. You can you kind of tend to think like high-end athletes coming out of high school, they they kind of have it together and they have you know, they, they've worked through a good <clears throat> weight training plan in the past. It's just not the case with everybody. You know, maybe as they're trying to get him stronger, I, I certainly don't think, to put it another way, he'll be getting bigger than he, than where he is now. I think he's more likely to, to fall into that, you know, mid-230s than he is to get in a 250-plus. Yeah, and unless he wants to make a move to tight end, I think that this is probably maybe, this might be close to his ceiling. This is the Blue-White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Looking at that quarterback group, obviously, you know, Sean Clifford, you want to know if he's got a big year in him. That's one thing. That's one area where you're just going to hear all kinds of really good stuff. Um, so you have to sort through that. I think Christian Bayou would be, it would be a stunner if he's not the number two. And then it would also be a stunner if there's any indication of who's separating from whom between the true freshmen. So I don't know if we're going to learn a ton. Um, you know, you get a chance to see Clifford let it fly a little bit, but. I think that the pecking order seems to be pretty well established. I agree, Dustin. It, 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 the writing was on the wall, I think, early in spring camp. He was asked about the quarterback room and Sean and how he's going to look at the freshmen. And James has a plan. plan seems to be the same every year. Identify the starter. Go with the, the most experienced player. Get him ready to go. And the other guys are just going to have to take a bunch of mental reps and wait their turn. But it's, it's you know, this is, I think Sean's made 37 career starts. This is his fourth year as a starting quarterback. And uh, the schedule's a little tricky early in the season. So I think, I think it's important that Penn State comes away from those first three games with a winning record. And if they don't have a winning record after three games, uh, I think the questions are going to mount. Dustin, usually when Penn State doesn't win, Against good teams, they've struggled to score points. It's it's been it's been that way. It makes a lot of sense. This Penn State team with the defensive personnel that they've lost, I think against a team like Purdue, they're going to probably have to score in the 30s, right? And even at Auburn, they're going to have to get into probably 
the 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 mid to high twenties, I think, to win that game. Uh, you know, they had they needed twenty eight to beat them last year. So I, I mean, that's that's the issue. This 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 offense has to really get its act together. And maybe the answer is the running game because it was non-existent last year. But there's no guarantee they talked all offseason about committing to the run game. There's no guarantees that that's going to play out early in the season. I just think, boy, after the two seasons they've had, this three-game stretch, I'm going to give – I think we can mark down a win against Ohio. But they're going to – they need to have a winning record, I think, coming out of the Auburn game. And if they don't, maybe it's time for the coaching staff to, to, to look – at a different way of maybe deploying some personnel. Yeah, I mean, the urgency starts right away. And I think, um, you know, I like the way that they played for the most part when they started with Wisconsin on the road last year. You know, that wasn't a perfect performance by any means. I think, you know, the defense now isn't what the defense was then. So there, there, it's going to be a different formula. But I think that's encouraging that they spent their offseason and they led up to, you know, a, a big season opener and they performed pretty well. Which rotation are you more intrigued to follow along with? I would say running back or or safety. You know, there are, there are jobs to, to earn up and down. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, I like the players involved in, in both positions, but which one are you watching a little bit more closely? I think the running back uh, rotation, the safety rotation, I mean, when Penn State says they like four safeties, when they talk about their defensive personnel, I believe that it's easier to project them playing four safeties and all of them getting, you know, Jair's going to get a ton of snaps, but, you know, they said they like four safeties. So I think if they're healthy, you know, you know, Keaton Ellis, Zaki Wheatley, and Reed, they're all going to see the field. I mean, there's going to be some, some some sets where they play three safeties. They're all going to gain invaluable experience game to game. And there's going to probably be some games where maybe they start a different safety with Jair Brown just because they like all three of them. Where it gets tricky for me is running back because Penn State fans can talk all they want about two back sets. Those those play those formations. You might see them once a game. You might see them twice a game. But, you know, it's hard to play three running backs. It just is. Um, how do you do it? You give the starter two, and then is it 1-1? One, one? Is it 2-2-1? Two, two, Whatever that is. But when you do that, there's a reason why somebody starts the game. He, he's, the, he's the running back they feel is the best player. I do think Penn State's going to identify. They might do it a little differently. I, I would identify the top two running backs, whoever they are. To me, it's got to be Kevon Lee. And Singleton. I know they like Katron Allen, um, and he could be he could help them. But I could see a scenario where um, those two get the bulk of the carries, you know, through the first couple of quarters, maybe into the third quarter, and then they 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 go with the hot hand. And I think that eventually, uh, for this Penn State running back attack to take to really take off, they're going to have to settle on a running back that's going to get. 75% of the carries. I just think that's the way to go, um, especially when you're dealing with a young runner like Nick Singleton. I just think if they trust him as a pass protector, which is huge in the college game, if they trust him, you know, he's got to get some experience. He's got to get some college experience. So I really, I, I just want to see how this is going to play out. I think Singleton's the real deal, but I also like Kevon Lee. I think Penn State sometimes runs into trouble when they try and make too many running backs happy, and they don't, they're not necessarily getting the best player on the field. I think they've been guilty of that last year, 
And I think they were guilty of that a little bit in 2019 before they finally turned to Journey Brown. I hope they've learned from that. But when they come out of August and they feel and, and you know, Coach Sider and Franklin and, and your shits feel like two running backs have separated themselves. I don't see a need for them to keep the third running back happy if that's the case. There's going to be injuries as the season goes on, but I just am very wary of them playing too many running backs early, especially in games that they're going to be life or death to win. I think that's a really good way to to look at it. And keeping some of those guys happy is an interesting thing because Devin Ford's been around forever. You know, he he's the guy who contrasts the most, I think, with with the rest of them. You know, not to say that Katron Allen and uh, Kevon Lee and Nick Singleton are the same back, but, you know, uh, Ford brings a little something different to the table with with quickness and being able to hit the perimeter. He's the guy that you can sprinkle in a little bit. Kaziah Holmes played as a, as a freshman because he had to, and then he redshirted last year. How happy is he being relegated to, like, the, the fourth or fifth guy? You know, it'll, it'll be interesting that the subject of keeping some of these guys happy. One last position that I want to bring up, and you can bring up another if you need, but the pun, the, the punting job, you know, like I, I, I'm curious to see how that goes because you had, you know, a ginormous punter in Gabe Nwosu. You had Barney Amore, who I think was the special teams player of the spring. And then you've got the freshman coming in, Alex Bichetta, who has a big time stamp of approval from Blake Gillikin, who he's looking to repeat what Blake did, which is start all four years. I would say based upon how they finished in the spring that and, and the fact that Amore got that award, it's his job to lose right now. I don't know what it takes to lose a job as the punter kicking in August camp. And I'm laughing at that, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. It is a big deal. I mean, Jordan Stout was he was arguably one of the top two punters in college football last year, and it really helped that defense. Teams were always, almost always backed up. Uh, he came a long way as a punter uh, during his time at Penn State. If you, if you can consistently make the other team, number one, uh, have to go 85 yards for a touchdown or 90 yards for a touchdown, and you completely take away, almost take away any chance of a return. That that there is a lot of value in that, and I it took Jordan Stout was picked in the fourth round by the Ravens. It took him multiple years to get good at it. So, whoever wins this job, there's there's going to be some growing pains. It's not going to be the same. I just think that James Franklin values experience, values consistency, uh, but he did say something about that freshman putter. Blake Gilligan said he's the best he's ever seen. I just don't know if he can make up that kind of ground in really two or three weeks um, to kind of, he might be the number two punter by the end of camp. And the the guy that's six, eight is intriguing, but I'd be surprised. I would say Dustin, if uh, a more doesn't start the year, he would have to punt himself out of that job. You know, that could happen, but it is the most overlooked loss on the Penn state on, on the Penn state team. And the, 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 the hidden yards that Jordan Stout was able to create last year. Penn State fans focused too much on a couple of missed field goals and, an, and a missed extra point. That guy did so much for that Penn State team. He re, and kickoffs, they never talk about kickoffs. It's, it's a big deal, and I have to think that Penn State's going to take a pretty significant step backward, I would say, in the kicking game this year. And if they're going to be in a, lo- in a lot of close games, that's definitely something to watch. 
You take the good with the bad. When you got one guy doing all those jobs, it's great when he does it at a high level. And now you're looking at, re- at replacing really, you know, all three of them kickoffs, place kicking where the Jake Pinnaker's back. Sanders Ahedek looked pretty good in the blue white game to me. Yep. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. And then, and then the punting job, you know, one thing I'll say about that is Bichetta better kick it with consistency in camp if he wants to give himself a, sh- a shot. I don't think anybody's looking for him to boom a 75-yarder and then shank a 20-yarder. Um, <laughs> so the, anytime you have a, a young punter, I mean, he's going he's gonna to have the biggest leg, but he's going to have to establish trust and do that in a four-week stretch of time. And that's a tough thing to ask him to do. I'm right there with you, big guy, all the way. All right, well, and we'll be here with you, dear Penn State fan, all the way through training camp. Bob and I will be back a little bit later this week uh, to talk about some of the news of the day. Uh, but we'll be following along what's going on with this team and whatever is new. We'll be here to talk about it on the Blue White Breakdown. You can download it anywhere you can download podcasts, and you can find everything else we do at PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. We'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>